If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hey, Jen, look. <laughs> Welcome hey, to the South. <laughs> we worked some things out. We did. We are like multi-live streaming <laughs> first. That got figured out within the last five minutes. And I am sweating profusely in all <laughs> the crannies. <laughs> but you look so good. Thank you. Your face. You look fucking gorgeous. Thank you. As do you, ladies. I love the festive looks. I thought about it's all doing, Courtney. I thought about doing like red lipstick, but I can't. That looks fantastic on you. I just like it looked like I'd be bleeding from the mouth. I just I that's can't what do. I always think that I told you before. Like when I put on normal makeup, I normally think I look like a clown. <laughs> so like, no, but it I looks really good. No, it looks good. I am not convinced. Thanks. I I feel better and. Because it was like five minutes before I logged on, I was like, should I do red lipstick or not? And I knew that I would sit here and like look at my lips the whole entire time <laughs> and begin going, fuck red lipstick. I cannot wear <laughs> red lipstick. And I, was, I would obsess over it. And then I would eat it off um, on my mason jar oh. filled with gin and tonics. Yeah. So look let's it. talk about our that. drinks. Our so drink. Cute. We're a little, we, we threw this together today. This is the Dr. Claudia. Oh, um, Dr. Claudia. Dr. Claudia. We lost a dear, dear friend this week. Unfortunately, we lost her to COVID and um, our hearts are broken. Oh. But she, as my sister put this week, <laughs> she broke all the glass ceilings with Southern charm and grace. Yeah. And she was a badass woman who yes. loved her martini. Yeah, love to drive so her convertible, loved to dance and was um the one of the greatest mentors of my life so cheers to you claudia i know you're to dancing yeah, y'all are crying already i'm sorry it's, right. it's still pretty raw but i know I her and she wants us to have this this is a bombay sapphire okay one other thing about this when she it's, retired it's strong in 2008 she had <laughs> consulting cards made because she was a psychologist and she had drink cards made because she's a martini drinker so she told me not long ago in the first few years of her retirement she went through two boxes of her martini cards and she hadn't made it through her first consulting she had her own drink card made that told bartenders how to make her martini so this is a bombay sapphire very cold very dry up with a twist no olives or olive juice so essentially, this is Bombay <laughs> Sapphire in a glass with a lemon peel. Right. Yes, <laughs> you ultimate badass. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now I got to like wipe my eyes because I totally just turned out. Oh, you that. can see your horns now. They were hidden before. The there, there. Oh my God. Patrice, you Our look fucking gorgeous. did not plan this, guys. <laughs> nah. Woo. Nope. Yeah, my horns are always hidden. <laughs> <laughs> They're there. <laughs> oh, guys, we haven't done this in ages. I know. I'm so oh, happy. It feels I'm, I'm good. 
I'm like jittery. I'm so happy. Okay, we do have a special guest with us tonight. Brought her out of the liquor closet. Oh God. No. <gasps> Did you really? And it's Claudia. It is Claudia. No, 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 no. So she has a tendency. Oh shit! Is that the cat? Okay, good. Something just like brushed against my leg. Yeah, I bet it did. <laughs> Skip. That was the cat. It's the baby. No. Okay, so here's Claudia. <laughs> Y'all, I I've got her set up. Oh. Y'all can't really see behind me. Oh damn, cat. Yeah. oh no dead okay. eyes hold on dead I'm gonna eyes i'm gonna take my uh, ears out for a second all right oh, no. so let me move the cat oh yeah here we go not to be yeah, confused with dr out. claudia this might get confusing for new in. listeners but <laughs> already poured oh. her a drink of some <laughs> actually of some rum back there can you see her oh you can't because my hair no. is shit. yeah now you can't now i see her <laughs> So Shit. she's gonna sit back there and drink her rum as long as the I'm cat gonna... stops fucking with me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm bet that thing is gonna go flying halfway through, and we're not gonna know whether it was Rose or uh All right. Claudia herself. Well, let Claudia me just the doll. So <laughs> I decided I made it the decision to bring her out of retirement. You know, and there goes one of my okay, no. All right. Uh, to bring her out of retirement because we did the same thing last Halloween. Um like right or right before Halloween when we did the Stone Center mm -hmm. live show mm -hmm. and we brought her to the Stone Center which Jen will never forgive us for that <laughs> um, but she was there and so I thought this is about the same time so I wanted to like get her out and hopefully we'll won't have any kind of electronic problems or anything like that so I, I made the decision like two hours ago okay so I'm sitting there getting ready and my husband walks in the door and he's like, so you remember that summer when we had about a million flies? And I was like, yeah, he's like, well, we got about a million flies. So it looks like Amityville in <laughs> my living room right now. And it only happened when I brought Claudia and her baby doll out. No. So I eat, mm, mm. So, just saying mm, mm. drink drink your rum claudia <laughs> <laughs> oh shit she does look pissed hold on maybe she was a bombay <laughs> sapphire <laughs> maybe i should pour some gin we need to send her some of the good stuff Ooh. yeah this is so strong mm. oh, she got a, got a spill on her face how'd she get a spill <laughs> Look. <laughs> oh god oh, i'm glad some... i'm glad i'm not in the presence of that doll oh, this time but i love her um you have to she you lives do. in your house she does she lives in say the right things there. only say the nice things <sighs> okay See, i love your flies claudia i love them they're so yeah pretty. <laughs> thank you for bringing them out again we mm -hmm. you know we didn't have enough flies in our lives or anything like that <laughs> <laughs> so i want to give we have a few new patrons uh Woo! on our patreon Yay, and we have like a like you know you we have it set up on patreon where you can find us and donate like we're only asking for like three dollars a month if you like us and want to support us and all that um 
However, uh, somebody came in and gave us a lot more than $3 recently. And I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Casey West. Thank you so much for Casey, becoming a patron. And um, other patrons is Heather Jones. Uh, hold on, read the list. It's a recent patron. Uh, Andrea Flower, or Fountain Flight Flower. Fowler, sorry. Fowler. If I fuck up your name, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's me, not you, I promise. Um, or the gin, it's the gin. It's, it's, it's totally Claudia. the gin. It's Claudia. Uh, Les represents. Uh, what? You know, Shout, sister. Right. Uh, then we have Andrew and Meg and Christina and Marcy and Mariah and uh, Levi and Drayton and Amy and Noel and uh, Philip, Katrina, Emma, Kellyanne, fucking Kellyanne, uh, Randy, Teresa, Patrice, uh, not me, the other Patrice, <laughs> Zarina, right? Um, let's see, Heather, Corey, Jennifer, Jenna, and Todd. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate y'all so much. And thank you for being so patient in between airings yes. of and, episodes. And apologies, because I've got about a seven episode uh, after talk backlog right now that I plan on uh, banging out this week, which is yeah. what, today's the 18th. So be on the lookout because I, I hope to fix this problem <laughs> shortly. I've just been right? I really apologize. No, I mean, no, no, this, this semester, we all knew it was crazy. We all knew it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I have got a really good story that I'm going to tell for the after show after talk. Awesome. So if you want to get in on that and hear my really good spooky story, then, uh, head over to Patreon and put in the strange South Hold on. What are we calling it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call yourself? The strange. Sometimes we call ourselves the strange self podcast. That's why yeah. I say that. It's because so, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a company that I think is defunct now though, that used to do like perfumes and it was called the strange South and the perfumes right. were like peat moss and okay, you know, yes, whiskey and <laughs> right. all things Southern. Uh, but yeah, so head over to Patreon, just type in the strange South, $3 a month. And that helps us run ads to promote the podcast. When we get back together, it'll help pay for booze and travel to live shows and, mm -hmm. and all of that fun stuff. Um, and Marley and I were just talking about how we really need somebody that loves us a lot. That has a good <laughs> head for business yes. to come talk to us. Cause we really want to do more podcasting as part of our day job yeah that really yeah. would help so if you have special skills reach out reach out and touch someone sorry <laughs> jen um touch yay someone. with consent consent <laughs> is important <laughs> absolutely um, I don't really have much besides my apology to patrons for not getting my shit together on time. But um, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of time and there's been a lot of shit that went down, but I kind of just want a story with y'all. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And if y'all are over on um, or listening through Apple podcast, please go over to iTunes and give us five stars 
And um, you don't have to tell us how much you love us, but just you know, five stars would be awesome if you appreciate us. If you don't love us, if you think we're kind of meh, then you just, can just zip it. Just, that's okay. That's just fine. <laughs> we, we don't need that negativity in our life. We love our tried and true fans of Strange South. And we miss you. We miss you. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, if we do we have a first and second what's i think starts? i'm first i think i'm first <gasps> Ooh, i'm gonna be trashed by the time you're done <laughs> oh wow and i need to i need to go first too because yeah <laughs> well, especially about... yeah and you've got you've got a big thing to do in the after show so you better yeah. you better get some rest in between yes okay <laughs> so <laughs> want to give some love to like louisiana this is oh my god me too are you giving love to louisiana and that was where professor that's, claudia that's where <laughs> dr, dr. Claudia. claudia is from she grew up in louisiana she Y'all. is a cajun cooking and we LSU got claudia loving lsu this, grad this is more of a themed episode than we even thought it was gonna be yeah we haven't even talked to Yay. each other Mm-mm. claudia all right <sighs> dr claudia not scary dog god claudia. this this better not be the same story oh, it, oh it's not. I, I, I don't think it is so i am it's you know we recently had you know hurricane laura and delta come through uh, Louisiana and several of our strange South uh, fans live in that area. And we've been really thinking about you and we know how much of how psychological it is, even if like all of your stuff is fine, even if your stuff isn't fine, but it's just the, like that traumatic experience of having to live through something like that and to have to come back and rebuild. And honestly, the rebuilding sometimes is worse than the actual event. Uh, because I am still like we had a tornado come through that affected our neighborhood and it was on lockdown for like a month where we literally had to show ID to get into our neighborhood and stuff like that and so just besides the little inconveniences of like not having electricity and like having to do repair and stuff the thing is like there was constant chainsaws going on the whole time and I'm triggered a little bit by like chainsaw like noise outside simply because you know having a month of consistent chainsawing going on outside it's just it's can wreak havoc so I totally we we feel for you so much um about the recovery that you're gonna have to go through and just take care of yourself and you know be kind to each other Mm -hmm. so I was I was going through this and I found my story and like things do everything's connected and I found actually a story on reddit um, that has to do with my topic and I'm going to read you the story it's in first person but I'm going to try to like read it through or actually more like paraphrase it through um, in third person and it's by whenever people post on reddit I can never like find their contact name or anything it's very a lot of them are very um, anonymous and sometimes I'm wondering if it's because they copied from somebody else or if they're just being mm-hmm. anonymous for anonymous sake. But this is from uh, Boobaloo the Stink. All right. I really <laughs> wish I knew your real name so I could give you credit for this story. So, so I'm going to give these characters names. We're going to call them Kate and Ken. And they're a married couple. So Kate and Ken are from North Carolina, but her mother, Kate's mother recently remarried and moved to Hammond, Louisiana. 
and she was missing her mom. And at this time, they were uh, Kate and Ken were having their first. Uh, I love alliteration. That's why Courtney. Um, <laughs> we're having their first child, and she was very pregnant. So she desperately wanted to go on vacation. She wanted to see her mom. She was missing her. And plus, you know, it's that added benefit of you've got a friend or you've got relatives that live in Louisiana around the coast around Mardi Gras time. It's a great time to go visit. And that way you can go to the Mardi Gras parades and like have all the fun and then have like a really nice place to stay and be with family and friends. So they kind of planned their trip. Everything kind of synced up that way where they planned their trip. Mardi Gras, so this is February, was going on. They went, they got like this really nice hotel at first and they had a lot of fun. And then afterwards they were traveling to their moms in Hammond, Louisiana. And being very pregnant, um, if you've ever been pregnant, you know that towards the end there, the baby is sitting on your bladder the whole entire time. And that is if they're not like got both feet planted in your bladder. <laughs> so it is, you are having to constantly pee, like seriously, every 30 minutes to an hour, you've got to pee. Um, so she was a little bit uncomfortable in the parade. So they left a little bit early and they're headed towards Hammond, which I think is like maybe two hours away, an hour or so away from New Orleans. And about halfway there, they, um, she had to pee and they took the highway that just goes around the west and up. It kind of follows Lake Pontchartrain. So they are on this highway and she told, you know, her husband, she's like, look, I got to pee. You need to find somewhere. So they took an exit sign for this town called uh, Ruddock. And, you know, I don't know how many of y'all have been to New Orleans before. Even on I-10, there's like signs for towns. And you look at the exit ramp and you see that it turns immediately into a dirt road and like goes off into some bushes. <laughs> and so I have a feeling that that's what this exit ramp really looked like for her. But she was like, I don't care. Let's find something. So they took the exit ramp there and um they couldn't find a restroom or a gas station or anything like that so she's like you know there's nobody around just t you know keep driving you know let me just find somewhere where i can go off on the side of the road and pee and this is where you wish you had one of those go girls we like really should hook up with go girl and uh -huh. sponsorship right because <laughs> nothing worse than having to pee in the wild when you're pregnant mm. uh you want to talk about like getting it everywhere oh my god so a girl, a go awful. girl really would have helped this lady out, would have really helped Kate out here. Poor thing. I know. So they went down this little road and they ended up on the edge of this water. And there was like a little boat launch where uh, the road disappeared and it met up with the swamp. So this area is called Manshack Swamp area. And so, you know, she's like, pull over and stand guard make sure nobody's coming i'm gonna go to the other side of the truck and pee so she's sitting there and she's peeing and trying not to get it on her shoes or anything like that and her husband ken suddenly comes jogging around the truck smiling um you know like something something's happening she's like something's weird's happening and he goes we've got company and she's like okay so she like you know pulls up her pants and gets everything you know Tuck, I know you're not even, you don't tuck stuff in just gets everything pulled <laughs> right 
so why was he smiling that's what that's creeping me out yeah well because he he goes around the you know he calls around the truck and there's this little old lady off you know in the distance and so they couldn't really tell what she was doing and he's like look there's this little old lady walking towards us and and Kate describes like the way that she was walking was like really like slow old person like all their joints are hurting just like the little awkward old lady shuffle and Kate goes like where'd she come from and he's like shrugged and he's like beats the fuck out of me I don't know and so they you know the little lady waves at them and they wave back and everything's cool and it's broad daylight so they don't really think anything about it and the lady keeps waving at them and the husband's like yeah lady I fucking see you yeah (laughs) and she's like she's like shut up she'll hear she'll hear (laughs) you but it was just this you know this little old shriveled up um black lady with thin white hair and she wore this like this big sack like dress and it really broke Kate's heart because she didn't have any shoes on and there is nowhere like there's nothing around there's there's no stores there was no houses there was nothing so they were really kind of you know perplexed of what this lady is doing out in the middle of nowhere and of course she's trying to get to them and they're like oh you just stay there we'll come to you so she goes up to or they go up to the um, old lady because she's thinking well maybe you know she has dementia or she has alzheimer's or something like that and um so they go up uh and go up to her and as they got closer they noticed that she stunk and it's like one of those things where you really you want to be polite but it's hard to like get over the smell Mm. and so they got up close and and, you know i'm sorry sometimes old people they stink i mean well it happens i'm gonna stink we're gonna gonna happen it's gonna gonna happen we're all gonna stink so i'm not gonna stink it's all gonna happen so they were you know they got closer to her but it smelled like this really acidic bowel not bowel but bowel uh, wet kind of stink to to her and um and she didn't have any shoes on and so ken goes he's like hello he's like it's kind of chilly out here are you all right and um as they got you know closer to her and they were just trying to like keep nice faces on and deal with the odor and she you know she smiled at them and as soon as she smiled at them Kate said she got like this really creepy feeling and she she said that her name was Aunt Julia and as soon as she told him her name she started rocking back and forth on her feet and so Ken kept talking to her and asked her, like, if she need any help, do you have family around? Is there someplace we can contact? And, um, you know, and he was, you know, making small talk, trying to figure out, like, you know, how they can help this lady, Aunt Julia. And halfway through one of his sentences, she, like, put up her hand and she's beckoned them to follow her to the edge of the water or just to follow her. And of course, at that point, they're kind of like, ah, I, you know, it's, it's already kind of weird. 
And, but now like following this old lady into somewhere in the middle of place that we do not know anything about is just like, it's getting a little, little bit scary here. And so, you know, Kate's like, oh, I don't know. We just need to call the cops. We just need yes. to call somebody down to like take care of her. And so she's still rocking and Kim goes, she's just a little old lady. Um, she wandered away uh, to the water and they followed her to the water. And as soon as they got to the water's edge, she turned around and she pointed off to something in the water and they couldn't really see like what she was pointing at. And she says, I took him with me. And they were like, what? And she, Kim was like, took who? She's like, please, let's go back to the truck. We can, you know, we can call somebody. And she's like, I took him with me, just like I said. Mm -hmm. She's like, I took him with me. And she started getting angry and just agitated. And they were like, oh, shit. And Kate's like already trucking it back, you know, to the truck, to the car. And she's like, I'm calling the cops. I'm calling the cops. And they turn around and Ken goes, it's a fucking dead body. <gasps> and so he's like, call 911. So she gets in there and he calls it up. And all of a sudden, like a couple of more floaters pop up and they start ah! to see like dead bodies in the water there. And she's just like, I took them with me. Like I said, I would. Mm -hmm. And so Aunt Julia started giggling which would totally like freak oh anybody god. out and they're like oh my god like you know insane asylum somebody like somebody let her out and they didn't really know what to do and they've got these things in the water and so she keeps saying i took them with me and giggling with it so they went back they called 911 a sheriff came out there Aunt Julia's still there and she's kind of like wandering around the edge of the water and uh, the sheriff came out and he's like look he's like there was this old lady that came up to us we don't know who she you know who her her people are we don't know where she lives um she's acting deranged and there are seriously there are things out in the water and she start she's talking crazy talk so the police officer or, or the sheriff like reassured him that he'd take care of it so he went over and talked to aunt julia and um he you know let her sit down in the car and he called for backup and they went out and he was like trying to look to see you know exactly because they the the things in the water weren't close enough where you could tell exactly what it is but um so he called he called for backup the backup came uh, Kate and Ken went to talk to the second sheriff that came up and told him, you know, he's asking him questions about the story. He's like, yes, there's this old lady, um, you know, gave him the rundown of sitting over in the sheriff's car. Well, about that time, the first sheriff went over and looked for Aunt Julia, like to get her statement and she was gone. And then they told the second sheriff about the bodies floating in the water and they went to show him and the bodies were gone. And so the guy was like, what's the name of the lady again? And they're like, her name, she told us was Aunt Julia. And she's like, look, the sheriff goes, look, if you are pulling my legs, I'm going to have to accuse you of, you know, filing a false police report. I was like, this mm -hmm. is pretty, like, this is like a prank. Y'all are, y'all are pulling a prank on me. And they're like, no, ask the first sheriff guy. And they're like, no, um, you, you know, 
this is obviously a hoax and it was getting late it was getting dusky and so Kate and Ken were like okay uh, they looked all around for her. They're like, I don't know where she went. I don't know what the things in the water went. They had like the first police officer, the first chef there saying like, yeah, no, this is not a prank. You know, I saw her too. She was sitting in um, the car and everything. And Kim was like, look, my, my wife's pregnant. We've been gone all day. She's tired. If there's nothing that you need us for, here's our phone numbers. Can we go? And they're like, mm, okay. So they ended up like searching or, or the sheriff, uh, the two sheriffs, I guess deputy, I don't know how that works. Uh, mm -hmm. Sheriff people uh, <laughs> go out there and they, you know, they look for the old lady. They look to see if they can find anything in the water, which they did not. And Kate and Ken go to her mother's. And as soon as they get there, uh, Kate, you know, keeps thinking that she'll hear something on the news because it was like, it was a lot of things in the water and it wasn't, you know, they keep thinking they'd hear something about like a missing senior citizen or something like that. And, um, you know, she kept thinking, why would the sheriff say it was a prank? So she got on the internet and found out about the history of Red Oak. And that's what I'm going to tell you about here. Oh, so, shit. It's Reddick. R-E-D-D-I-C-K? Reddick. 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 It's R-U-D-D-O-C-K. Reddick. Reddick. That's a weird name. Well, you know, it's Louisiana. Y'all know y'all know me. It's French. I'm going to fuck it up. Okay. And look, I did my research on how to pronounce these things. Not saying I'm going to do it. I'm not going to pronounce it right. All right. So, Reddick, Reddick, uh, Frenier, <laughs> and Napton are three small communities in that area of the uh, Manshack Swamp, which is where they were. And this is the information Kate found. And uh, Frenier is actually now a ghost town that's in the St. John um, the Baptist Parish. And it's literally like right outside Louis, uh, New Orleans. And it's pretty much on the west coast of Lake Pontchartrain. So oh, it, on it, yeah, side. It, yeah, it goes all the way yeah, up. And it's located like the Manshek Swamp um, is right in that area too. So the community of Frenier was once known as Schlosser, which <laughs> because a German immigrant, here we go with Germans settling in the south, mm -hmm. just like her von pickle bride person right <laughs> pickle bride von pickle bride oh, so this pair of german brothers came in and settled and they were like uh foresting harvesting timber and it became like very competitive in that area like everybody was like in the lumber trade so they're like look we're germans we'll do sauerkraut so they started growing cabbage and it became like this huge booming business, like the sauerkraut, like, this is true facts, y'all. This no is true idea. facts, I'm telling you. Uh, like this huge uh, cabbage sauerkraut became a thing. And uh, they, you know, more people got work in that area. And they, uh, like in 1854, this is, this is the time period, before the Civil War, 1854, um, the 
New Orleans, Jackson, Great Northern Railroad like came through there. So they were able to take the sauerkraut and ship it up to Chicago. And then they were able to like sell it at the French market in New put Orleans. Put it on hot dogs. Put it on hot dogs. It was like the main source of income for these families. And they got quite wealthy off of it. Damn. So there was a lady about that time, real person, um, uh, there's census records of her that was born Julia Bernard in Louisiana around 1845. <gasps> she smelled like sauerkraut. Mm. <gasps> so I love sauerkraut smell too. <laughs> oh my God. That's what uh, I smell like when I'm old. I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> she married a laborer in that area, uh, named Celstine, Celstine Brown in 1880. And like 20 years later, like at the turn of the century, 1900s, the federal government gave her, um, or didn't give her because, you know, she was a woman in the South in 1900s. Uh, she was black, right? And she was black. Yeah. But they okay. gave her a hundred, uh, they gave her hundred, they gave her husband a 40 acre homestead plot of farm. So they like 40 acres is nothing to sneeze at, especially in this like very rich soil area where the kraut was being raised or farmed or whatever, right? So one thing about Julia Bernard um, living in her 40 acres with her husband was, um, you know, these little communities, they didn't have any doctors. And so she served as the local healer. Um, and she was also known as a voodoo priestess of the area. And they say that the name for the local healer, the folk healers in Louisiana at that time were called Trechers. Mm. Trechers. Okay. I just wanted to say that name because I'm not <laughs> to pronounce that. And they did all the things. You know, we've talked about this before. It's like, mm-hmm. poor people yeah yeah, in the area they first of all um white doctors were like they were very suspicious as they should be of white medical doctors if they would even you know travel to that area and you know life goes on you you like have accidents you have um births you have things that need to be taken care of and so you usually have like these doctors these healers in the area and julia brown was um one of those people and people loved her and um you know there was no roads no doctors no electricity so everybody that whole communities those three communities were very self-sufficient and she uh visited all three of those little towns and you know as being a healer or a medicine woman or a witch or a voodoo priestess, or just a woman in general, a lot of times if they are doing something for you, like healing or caregiving, and then something bad happens, Mm -hmm. they get blamed for it. Um, And, you know, most people, and I'm sure in the medical profession, even now, just shrug, you know, they, they learn to deal with that kind of stuff. But from what the records say, and from some people Uh, in this area who have like passed down their um, stories of the area they said that you know she was pretty much about everybody loved her and she was not kind of a vengeful type or anything like that and one of the things that julia brown liked to do was to sit on her porch in the evening with her guitar and make up songs and sing little songs 
And so again, everybody's kind of used to her doing that, except one of her songs kind of changed uh, when she was around, you know, 69, 70 years old. She started singing with her guitar, when I die, I take the whole town with me. When I die, I take the whole town with me. And people started to get a little freaking creeped out. <laughs> because they're like, you know, what happened till she'd be coming around the mountain? <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was a little morbid, okay? <laughs> but they didn't really think anything of it. They just thought, you know, she was just playing around with words i guess but julia brown died in september uh, of 1915 and most of the population of freenear gathered to bury her because she was a beloved healer and the local voodoo priestess and she had been placed in her casket and her casket had been put in a customary wooden box and sealed and like everybody so they had the funeral like at her house and everybody was at her house about four o'clock and that's when the wind started to blow oh. so a huge storm all of a sudden became extremely violent that everybody left the house abandoned julia's coffin there and sought refuge in the local uh railroad depot but the winds got so bad that the depot actually collapsed and it killed 25 people that are all 25 people that were in the depot at the time. So what had happened was that on September 29th, 1915, the day that Julia Brown died, the New Orleans hurricane of 1915 uh, hit land. It was a category four hurricane. It landfalled right there on Grand Isle, Louisiana. And where Freener was, if you look at the maps of where this hurricane went, it went right down the middle of Lake Pontchartrain and Freener being right there towards the end, uh, they had like storm surges that were 13 feet and sustained wind of like around 125 miles an hour. It flattened homes, the buildings were demolished, um, miles of railways washed away. One of the few survivors in the paper described um, how he clung to an upturned cypress tree and had to shut his ears against the screams of those people drowning in the swamps. Oh, wow. So the 1915 hurricane destroyed the community of Freenier, uh, Ruddock, and Napton. And the aftermath was determined to kill about 300 people and caused about $13 million worth of damage. And wow. those areas are never got rebuilt. And they are ghost towns to this day. Julia's corpse was later found and so was the wooden box that she was, her casket was in, but her casket was never found. And so it is said that Julia Brown's ghost still haunts the swamps looking for her casket, as do the souls of all those who perished during the hurricane. And that is my story of Julia Brandt, Julia Brown and the hurricane of 1915. That's amazing. Oh. Well told. Yes. Well, 
why did she say that sing that song maybe it was just a premonition not like a that's threat. what yeah I, that's, that's what I'm they thinking. didn't do anything to her right yeah it wasn't right. Like a, i'm gonna come back and well some you. of the yeah some of the stories you know as they are always told about you know uh witch doctors voodoo mm-hmm. priestess uh root workers and stuff that you know it was they were you know casting spells and hexing people and stuff mm-hmm. but you know the stories the people that actually lived with julia that didn't jive with them i think that was just to tell the tale or just mm-hmm. to make it seem like it was her all her they feel like um there's actually a voodoo priestess in new orleans um and i got this i'll put my links i totally forget like mental floss and there were some other uh, articles that i read where i got a lot of this information and you know um you know there's like the newspaper in new orleans you know has the article in it and i'll link to like the legit newspaper article about it um but one of the voodoo priests in new orleans say that probably you know what had happened is that she was trying to warn everybody and she was just like you know when i die y'all get ready Mm because you know a hurricane's coming and so it was more of a premonition yeah that's a good story yeah i can imagine though during those times there were no like hurricane grade buildings you didn't have like concrete and you know giant pillars and all the things no it's little wood slab cabins and even with that now it's still total destruction sometimes so like Mm -hmm. if it's like especially if you have a storm surge when nothing was built up like that Mm -hmm. yeah so right now all of wiped out all of those they're still on the map but you know like the story beforehand said they're all ghost towns there's nothing there you can't even pee as a pregnant woman there you can't even pee as a pregnant woman good story yes all right job should we break should we pee you need a break i don't need a break okay i'm good i don't i don't think i do and i don't think i can drink anything more than what i just drank now dr claudia she's hardcore man she's a boss bitch yeah she 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 could take that yeah she's a badass you know what (laughs) i told i'm i told courtney i'd seen her hand that card over to people before and i'd seen her send that martini back like three times in a row and then call the bartender over and explain very charmingly but very very (laughs) sternly why he was not doing it correctly and offer to go do it behind the bar for him she would have to you know that you're bad when you can like first of all tell the difference and then second of all like stick by your guns and just Mm -hmm. like you know get what you want oh yeah that's that's what you asked for that's it this is what i asked for this is Mm -hmm. what i want yep cheers 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 well, okay, so the theme of this episode appears to be Louisiana. It appears to be the early 1900s. <laughs> Just checking um, on Claudia back there. I know. Hey, oh, lady. Let me see. How you doing yeah. back there? She hasn't moved. I actually, I was kind of, you you were positioned like right in front of her while you were talking because I kept on kind of like looking over your shoulder for movement <laughs> but you're you're pretty much covering her up which is good I would prefer it that way Why? no 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 Patrice no no she doesn't is she going to sit on your lap ah. Jesus Jesus just sit you're, here. Wrong. you're just wrong just, just okay wait let me do a screenshot everybody look 
Okay. I think she I looked too. I saw her. Stop. <laughs> dead, dead. Eye. They look so dead in this light. I know that they're the little oh, dolly eyes, but they looked awful right here. Patrice, oh, do it one more time. Stop she wasn't looking. Wait, do it one more time. Hold on. Where's the print screen? They're not okay. Okay. <laughs> I see her now. Ooh, her eyes. Jesus. Oh. Stop. Stop it. You may have to put that down. I don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't know if I can perform under these conditions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, leave her. Leave her. All right. So, uh, <laughs> This is a story that the so I you went the creepy story and I went the history murdery way. Um, so in 1911 on January 26th, um, the police Crowley, Louisiana, and Crowley was um, or is between Baton Rouge and the Texas line, so it's kind of New Orleans northwest, new yeah northwest. Um, <clears throat> So the police in Crowley got a call from <laughs> most of my sources on this were the actual newspapers because that was a lot of what I did, but also mental floss. Um, there's a paper by Carolyn Morrow Long called Perceptions of uh, New Orleans Voodoo and a list verse article. But um, most of it was the local papers. And in the local paper, one of them said that the police got a call from what they called in the papers, Town." jesus Wait, christ what? so you know where we're going with this one huh you said coon yes oh i because thought you said poo. Out, it did i thought you said poo town poo town i, was like, I did oh, not say poo town I, oh we know no. where we're going okay poo town we know i was like Cut i don't know where we're going i'm confused <laughs> I asked. okay okay gotcha coon town is okay. what they said gotcha. in the paper mm -hmm. to investigate a smell coming from an open window and Kraut. so no. police got there and they <laughs> not not sauerkraut it's gross actually they find uh I'm they sorry. find uh three bodies oh. walter byers his wife sylvina and their six-year-old son mm, there's no, no sign of struggle in the house they are likely all three killed in their sleep but their heads have been bashed with an axe Boo. and it's the blunt blunt side of an axe oh. um just one blow each, so it's probably pretty quick. Papers said that there were bloody footprints on the floor. There was a wash basin half full of bloody water, like the person had tried to like clean off something. Um, but then the bodies had been placed together in one bed, and the boy had been positioned at his parents' feet, and the axe was just left at the bottom of the bed. So it was it was the family's axe that was in their house. It wasn't something somebody brought in to use. <clears throat> So um, both of these adults, um, Walter Byers and Sylvina, were like respected members of the community. They were church members. And so police look at the scene. They decide that the person has come in through the window, likely by way of like an adjacent building. And because of this, they, they are deducing that the person who killed the family had to be black because it was a black neighborhood. Mm. Um, so... I couldn't find much more about that crime in the papers for like the next two weeks. And then, so if they arrested anybody, it didn't lead anywhere. It really did look like it was just a, we don't know what happened. Um, then on February 24th, so about a month later, around midnight, a family of four in Lafayette, Louisiana, which is about 25 miles east of Crowley, is murdered in their sleep with an axe. Jesus. 
their heads are crushed. Their cabin is just off the railroad tracks. Somebody's come in. Um, I think this one was somebody came in by the kitchen door and went back out that way. And um, so the the family was Alexandra Andrus and his wife Mimi, their three-year-old son Joaquim, their one-year-old daughter Angus or Agnes. I'm sorry. Um, so the first news report was in the Lafayette Advertiser, and it said that after the killing, the family, the parents were placed in a kneeling position beside the bed. Oh my God. Yeah. And later reports said that they were placed face down on the bed together side by side. Either way, the axe again, it was a family's axe laid at the so foot I was of the bed. Ask, was it their family axe? I mean, it was the family's axe again. It was the axe that they had in their house. Because, you know, it's this? like 1911. So everybody's got an Okay. Yeah, you know, I mean, like it's this is probably, you know, one of the most common weapons that you could use. And actually, if you search 1911 axe murders, you'd be shocked how many of these guys would <laughs> no. find. But um, nowadays, gun murders, basic. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so the, the sheriff, um, Louis Lacoste determines that the murder like i said he'd gone in and out through a kitchen door um the officers they arrest a man named gaston godfrey he's 27 years old he's escaped from a local asylum recently and um he had some kind of connection with both of the places where the crimes took place like his mom lived in one area and he'd been seen in the other but he had an alibi and so they just they sent him back to the asylum basically um so again, that was their lead. They didn't really have anybody else. And two weeks later, on March 23rd, a family of five in San Antonio is murdered with an axe while they're in their beds. Louis Cassaway, his wife, whose name I couldn't find, um, his daughters, Louise and Josie, age six and three, and their five-month-old son. Oh. Mrs. Cassaway, I know, right? And her son were in a bed together when they were found. Josie was laid at the foot of the bed. Louis was placed in another bed face down. Louise was next to him facing the foot of the bed. Both adults are covered up in cloth. And this, the other ones didn't have much graphic in the news, but this was, I mean, the Weekly Advocate had a really grisly description of this crime scene. Um, and again, the axe is found on the floor and it's the family's axe. Nothing's taken from the house. Dad's pants are still laid over the bottom of the bed and his his watch is in the you know the pocket like they didn't he had a hundred dollars sitting around the house and they didn't take it so obviously robbery is not the the point here um and uh newspaper reports emphasize over and over and over again like multiple newspaper reports there is absolutely no clue as to who could have done this like that's all they say. it's like they say it like six or seven times in the articles we have no idea um, but locally, people began to believe that um, because Mrs. Cassaway was a fair-skinned woman, someone who is opposed to mixed marriages wiped out the entire family as a punishment because all three of these families are primarily Black. Um, and Mrs. Cassaway was light-skinned, so they think they, they start calling it, like the headlines started calling it a race fanatic who has, you know, murdered this family in San Antonio. But there's no evidence at all, apparently, at any of these crime scenes that they can use to find anybody. Um, so they had a couple leads in San Antonio, but they just didn't lead anywhere. Um, that guy was even arrested, but he eventually sued for his release. And I don't know that they ever charged anybody. So um, Louis Lacoste, who was the sheriff in Lafayette, 
contact to discuss is there a connection between these things but but it's like it's 400 miles away you know like lafayette and crowley that makes sense but lafayette and san antonio that's a little i mean that's a lot of difference um and like i said you know this was unusual for there to be like these grisly murders with children involved axe murders though not necessarily that unusual um but didn't you say something about a train did i say something about a train they lived on the railroad tracks in crowley yeah okay and and it matters (laughs) so but they didn't don't mean um, to jump ahead i'm just like well, trying to detect no, it's just work here <laughs> they're still trying to figure out like is there even a connection here mm-hmm. and then sometime in the next few months you know they've gotten nowhere they you know nobody has anybody they can they can arrest and then um sheriff lacoste gets a tip what what are you just laughing your about? hair cues coming you're trying it's not to interrupt you i know it doesn't want to cooperate does it it never wants to you know what's funny is i love it when it does this but i i can't stand it when it does this like <laughs> sorry aesthetically it's spectacular but like physically <laughs> it bothers the shit out um I'm sorry. so <laughs> so uh the sheriff gets a tip like sometime over the next couple of months a guy's mistress has complained to a friend of hers. He, he and the mistress have gotten in a big argument and she goes and confides in a friend that um, her man has been implying that maybe he killed some folks. And so he might be, she's like, oh, he might be connected to this. So the sheriff hears about that and goes and, and talks to her. The boyfriend is Raymond Barnabet. And he has a rap sheet. He's a petty criminal. He's a sharecropper. A lot of people in town say he has a temper. He doesn't have a very good reputation. Um, In October 1911, Raymond Barnabet is convicted of first degree murder. And it made it sound like there's not even a sentencing involved at this point. Like you just, you're going to die for this. Was this Um, separate than everything else? This was. No, they, they. they interviewed him. They put him on trial for the death of uh, the Andrus family, the family in Lafayette. Um, yeah, okay. That's Lafayette, right? Yeah. yeah. The Andruses are Lafayette. And um, the main evidence against him in this trial was presented by his own children, um, Zephyrin and 19-year-old Clementine Barnabet, who both claimed that he'd come home the night of the Andrus murder covered in blood and they had that he had threatened them and forced them to clean up all his clothes to wash off all the blood off of everything. Um, Does like, he live in Lafayette? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the so their family lives in Lafayette. At the end of October, not even a month after he's convicted, Raymond Barnabet is granted a new trial on the grounds that he was drunk during the entire first trial and <laughs> couldn't properly represent himself. And he's still in Lafayette Parish Jail on November 26th because, I, you know, he's, he's going to be granted a new trial, but he's still in jail. And November 26th, the bodies of Norbert Randall, his wife Azima, eight-year-old Albert, six-year-old Renee, five-year-old Norbert Jr., and two-year-old Agnes, all found beaten to death with the blunt side of an axe in their cabin in Lafayette. And Norbert has also been shot in the head. So, like their main the guy that they convicted for doing these things and assumed that maybe he's been doing all these things is in jail and then a month later the whole thing happens again looks exactly the same 
Um, Except the shooting in the head's new, right? The shooting in the head is new. And like one of the sources said it happened before he was beaten and the other one said it was happened after. Um, But um, Sheriff Lacoste had already at this point for some reason, see some of my, some of my sources like fell off a little bit. It's hard to find some of this in the papers, but Lacoste apparently already suspected the Barnabit children who had testified against their dad partially because I mean, they testified against their dad. I mean, that's, (laughs) that's a, that's an unusual circumstance, but um, they also had pretty bad reputations. And during, um, during Raymond Barnabas trial, the whole family was bad mouthed by neighbors who said they were like degenerate basically. So like the police have a bad impression of the whole Barnabas family. So they're thinking, okay, why don't we bring these kids in and see if maybe they have something to do with it. To me, it sounds like the police just grasping at straws during this entire thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I know this was way before forensic investigation, but it's just like, hey, okay, my kid said I did it, so like I'm guilty. That's kind of also, what I'm seeing. Also, how was he drunk the whole time? And did he yeah. have a lawyer, or was he representing himself? Okay. I know these are people questions. want to know. These are questions. <laughs> the, I have these questions. I want to know. I was <laughs> the fact that he's drunk at his own trial. I don't like, know that well, that would I mean, necessarily did, was he if his lawyer was drunk. You exactly. Know. That's what. I'm does he have to speak to the judge <laughs> but he he managed to get himself a new trial well, and that's it's good uh, apparently he needed that <laughs> uh, well and reading all this stuff all i could think of was like the jeff davis like the the whole police corruption thing that you Ooh. cover patrice like that was like more recent yes. where people are getting killed and the police are covering it up and i'm like we don't have a great you know maybe this is a long-term problem yes. but um you know that's all that's all hearsay mm-hmm so a couple days after they find the Randall family in their cabin dead, Lacoste, kids. I know. And that's, I think that's one of the things I was really shocked. The newspapers didn't yeah. focus more on the children. Cause I was like, that's the shocking thing about all this. Well, stuff, I mean, all these kids back with child, child labor. Yeah. <laughs> I guess like, that's true. Back in the day, it was like children were meant to be seen and not heard. And they yeah. were, they were used for labor. I mean, that was yeah. why you had kids yeah that's true so good point um so november 28th sheriff lacoste takes he finds in the course of their discovery after they've um arrested the barnabas kids goes into their house finds um a an entire like set of clothes in clementine's closet that is covered in blood and brain matter and so he takes it to Tulane University to be analyzed. Her bedclothes are bloody when they go in. The latch to the front gate is covered in blood. And um, so Sheriff Lacoste takes Clementine into custody and sends her to the uh, New Orleans Detective Bureau to be given what the newspaper called the third degree. Mm. When she leaves Lafayette, she is maintaining her innocence in all of this. Um. The next day, the newspaper reports that she is confessing to committing the Randall murders herself and to have helped her father commit the Andrews murders. Um, It Hmm. says that um, when she confesses to the police, she is hysterically laughing. Hmm. Um, And it also says that she's a deaconess in a church called the Church of Sacrifice. And it's believed that the people who she killed were killed for not following the commandments of the church. 
And that like that information shows up in a little paragraph. It's like just the whole article is like this much. That's it. But it's like I was sitting there thinking like, okay, so was she innocent? And then they took her and had her say things or was, you know, did they pressure, you know, did they just have the evidence or clear they never had the evidence right right or did they make her crazy or did they make her crazy right so um so they have this weird information about this sacrificial church that she's confessing she's had some part in these murders because of this church um now clementine is in jail awaiting trial and Raymond actually awaiting arraignment. She still hasn't been formally charged, but she's in jail and has already gone to New Orleans to get whatever the third degree means. Um, Raymond is in jail. Yeah. And in January, 1912, there are three more sets of similar murders. One of them's in Crowley again. And in the third one, this one was in Lake Charles, Louisiana, mm-hmm. Felix Broussard, his wife and their three children killed with an ax laid out in their beds like the other murders the axe is laid under one of the beds but this one is different in some like notable ways the murdered broussard children had buckets put underneath them and had been drained into buckets oh and the buckets were left at the side of their beds just filled with blood the killer had taken the hands of the children in one of these articles that had talked about not done anything to them don't so don't worry don't don't freak out about that part it's bad enough already but this isn't grisly so they'd taken like pieces of wood and splayed the fingers out with the pieces of wood in between like spacers and um yeah so that their hands were were splayed out and then near where they had left the kids there was a handwritten message and some people said it was on the door some people said it was on the wall some people said it was near the hands but the and some people say it was written in pencil and some people say it was written in blood but it was uh, a it was a misquoted bible verse when he maketh the inquisition for blood he forgetteth not the cry of the humble and um the message was signed human five that was what was written next to what they had said so the number in the signature the five i guess led police to think that there was like a gang of murderers but the press also picked up this human five because you know the press loves nothing more than a good story right so this is like suddenly a super sensational murder story and they wouldn't let it go at just being a super sensational grisly murder story the um the el paso gazette decides that this is all voodoo and i mean you kind of i mean i could see why they would make the jump in the day and age that they're living mm-hmm. like i i read an, another article you know we've talked about voodoo you've talked about root we've talked about all this stuff a dozen times but um you know i mean i read an article about like the transition of the time periods and the ways in which people white people people who tell the stories um thought about voodoo in new orleans through mm-hmm. the ages and they're right now in this time period, they're transitioning from being absolutely terrified of it. You know, I mean, we're, we're Jim Crowy here. We're, you know, that we're terrified of, of black people. Voodoo is associated with the Haitian rebellion and the formation of the black Republic of Haiti. And so voodoo is still dangerous, sinful, scary. And it's now transitioning into this phase where it's being looked at as like snake oil as like, 
charms and, you know, a lot of the teeth are being taken out of it because it's been beaten down by law enforcement and the Protestants. But like, you know, there's still people who are taking portions of it and doing hoodoo or, you know, or people who have taken their own, ver- you know, and doing root in other places, you know. And so people have a bad opinion of it. The people who tell the stories, they have a bad opinion of it either way. And there's enough like sensationalism left in it that the the newspapers are like, yeah, like this will this will scaring people to buy more papers. Exactly. So this El Paso Gazette creates a whole conspiracy theory about voodoo murder connections, something to do with the number five. Like they miscalculate the number of people that have been killed at different murders, so that everything counts up to to fives yeah and um soon other papers are picking up this angle so white folks are like fascinated by voodoo and they also hate it and so they're they're selling papers like off the racks i mean it's you know it's a very popular way to look at it and people are kind of being whipped up into a frenzy meanwhile there's the speculation about clementine barnabas connection to this whatever this church of sacrifice is that's one line in a newspaper article and things start to get all muddled together. So the media gets the public into a frenzy. The public demands action from the police. And so this becomes the story the police want to be able to tell. And um, according to the Mental Floss article I found, uh, the, what they called the Church of Sacrifice was supposedly led by Reverend King Harris, who was a Pentecostal preacher, a revival preacher. He had a small congregation. He moved around. Um, He was connected to the Christ sanctified Holy church. Um, Police arrested this man for interrogations based on the rumors and the word of this one woman that may have been nuts. Um, But the Reverend had never heard. He told the police, I've never heard of a church of sacrifice. I'm not in charge of a church of sacrifice. And they said he was visibly shaken to think that anything he said could have caused a series of axe murders. And um, so this is happening. We get all the way to April and Clementine Barnabas is still in custody. She has not been charged (laughs) formally in April, but she's constantly being questioned not only about the Randall and the Anders murders, but these new ones that have happened since she's been in jail that she couldn't Where's have directly had any part of. The brother had been arrested at one point, but had shown that he had an alibi for the times, you know, that the Anders and Randall's murders had happened. So they let him go. But he was, I think he was brought back in a couple times, but he was never charged. Well, he wasn't, he was out when the other murders occurred that were similar. Yeah. Okay. But you know, Sorry, that's one of the things that just doesn't so much doesn't make sense about this or why it happened. It's mm-hmm. like it looks like it was all just this grand you know what I mean? That's- but um so by by April, she's not been arraigned, like I said, but she's been continuing that is making people crazy. The police are questioning people and bringing in old preachers. So on April 1st, all of a sudden Clementine Barnabas gets back in the news because she has suddenly confessed to 35 murders. She's confessed to murdering the Rain family, which is one that happened before the first one that I told you about in 1911. The Byers family, the Anders, the Randalls, and subsequent. Um, it was a total of 35, but she says she's part of a gang of five people, which may be convenient because that just happens to be the press's theory on <laughs> what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um and that these people together are killing families as part of the church of sacrifice, which she says is a voodoo church that she's a part of. 
Um, and it's a cult that is either led by her or by black itinerant preachers, none of whom seem to be able to be named or pinned down. Mm. No one can say where this church originated or who's involved, but clearly this is why the murders continue because they say that these other people are still out there doing the murders under a pact or something that she's done with them. So she tells police that two years ago, the five of them went to New Iberia in Louisiana and got conjure bags from a man named Joseph Thibodeau that guaranteed they'd be protected from discovery no matter what they did. And the Chattanooga Daily Times article says, quote, the voodoo charm which Clementine had in her possession is composed of two cross needles bound with thread and wrapped with red flannel and a few old rags. Um, it, the newspaper article says that the police talked to this guy, Thibodeau. He tells police he doesn't deal in magical charms. He says he's never seen Barnabit before. He didn't sell her anything. He says he's a farmer and a fortune teller, and he uses roots and herbs to cure illness, which is not the same as like the cult voodoo that they're talking about. But because people are like, ooh, all magic-y stuff is voodoo. Like they don't understand root and they don't right. understand the difference between voodoo and voodoo and hoodoo. And so the paper says he's contradicting himself and that clearly he's a witch doctor. And um, so the article says, quote, those who have seen the charges upon which the members of the sacrificed sect base their belief of immunity from blah, 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 blah. Okay, this differs in no way from the ordinary voodoo worn about the neck by, according to this article, quote, the ignorant darkie of the common fields mm -hmm. as a conjure against misery in the back, which is another way of saying rheumatism. So we know, like, there's no question about where the biases lie here. Mm -hmm. um, police are also totally open with the press about their tactics to get the Black community to share information about this cult. There's a Tampa Times article from January 27 that reads, Efforts on the part of the authorities to get evidence that might lead to clearing up the mysterious murders um, uh, charged to the sanctified church of which King Harrison, a big black Negro, is the head, have been ineffective. Um, they, it goes on to talk about how the police can't get the people to talk. Um, it says that there's a man in Crowley who's been connected with a detective agency for 30 yeah, years. because they don't fucking trust them because oh, why should it, they? It's even worse than that because he's explaining why they shouldn't because it says, the guy says in the newspaper article, he gets guys drunk to tell him what he wants them to mm -hmm. tell him and then he's like i can't get him to tell me it drunk or sober they just get quiet uh, the women cry and go into hysterics but when i asked about this stuff they won't and i was like why are they crying right why do you think they're crying mm -hmm. it's probably because you're fucking harassing them all around town you're probably threatening them and they're not right. telling you want to know because it's not true it's all imaginary and they so, don't trust you because y'all are assholes Exactly. So meanwhile, Clementine is giving names to the police, but none of these names pan out. Um, none of the information that she's giving them panned out. They're running full force with this confession, but they have no real evidence to show that it's legitimate. So um, they force, themselves, obviously. it's, it's obvious. Yeah. I mean, just looking the through the primary though? documents. I, they, they offer none in the stuff that I'm finding. Well, you I mean, said that she, they found the blood and brain matter. They fell blood. Clothes. They found blood and brain matter. They said that the blood on her, um, on her, uh, outfit or the, they called it the suit that she was wearing had blood like around the waistline. And that would show that she had been at the right level to have touched the bodies the way that they were laying. 
that kind of thing they were supposed to have connected the blood with the crime scenes like as far as testing it to make sure that it was the same blood um and i didn't find a newspaper article that definitively said whether that had tested out or not i mean you'd like to assume that it did but i don't know i mean it does sound like she may have been involved in some of these mm-hmm. but this whole thing is just uh, and um so a lot of people in in you know in the press are talking about by her behavior they can tell that she's nuts like they there's something just not right about this woman but mm-hmm. she is confirmed as being right in right mind by an expert when they take her to court finally um and even the um you know even the the sheriff that's taking charges against her is saying or is you know arresting her for these <clears throat> for these murders is saying that he can't he can't definitively say that any of this that one of the newspaper articles flat out says there is so far absolutely no evidence to bear out the theory that the various assassinations were the result of any religious fanaticism or that there exists a secret organization designated to carry on the work so i mean there there are questions all the way through this and it seems like there's just nothing um so finally she has charges filed against her on april 14th she's been in jail since the previous fall and on October 26th of 2012, she's found guilty of the murder only of Norbert Randall's wife. One murder. She's 35. And they charged her on one. And that's the one she was convicted of. She was sentenced to life at Angolia State Penitentiary, Angola. <clears throat> she's 19 years old. Oh. She confessed to all these murders and she got life. Her dad was going to get death for like a fraction of the murders that she confessed to. So that's weird too, to me. But I mean, she was 19. Maybe people had hearts or something. But why just the one? I don't know. It didn't say. Mm. That was the only one that she got charges brought up on. So according to Mental Floss, they considered her a model prisoner. And so she was released from jail in 1923 on good behavior. And they said that they had seen a brief report from the prison that said that she had received a procedure that allowed her to have restored to her normal condition lobotomy that's what i was thinking i wondered if they lobotomized her and Mm -hmm. lobotomy and set her out to be on her own so they just let her go and there's no more word of this woman there was an anecdotal story on reddit of a guy who'd said that he had gone to a family member who was older and they were celebrating the life of someone who was in her hundreds that they had known and when he saw the picture of her as a young person he recognized a picture of clementine barnabit from the newspapers from the early 1900s but you know that's an anecdotal story in reddit so who knows maybe she went off and lived a full life or something but yeah there was so there was no explanation of why she was released from dale no notification of her whereabouts they never said there was any motive for her to have killed any of these people there was no motive identified at any point and there was a separate theory years and years later people that had been murdered had mixed race families of some type or another and that maybe these murders were targeting people for racial reasons not just the san antonio family but maybe all the families were being targeted out of racial fanaticism but there's also a book that i really want to read and it's called the man from the train 
because like I said, there were axe murders all across the country and some of them were violent and horrible. I mean, we all know about the axe man of New Orleans, right? right. That's yeah, the that's, 1918, 1919. Well, that's near the same time. And it's just all kind of fits. Too, yeah. Right? I mean, well, this, this book called the man from the train is by Bill James and Rachel McCarthy James. And it has the theory that there are murders from Kansas, Alabama, North Carolina, Virginia, South Carolina, Florida, Iowa, that were all by a German immigrant named Paul Mueller, who was riding the railways and anonymously getting out of trains and killing people he has never seen before and never will see again. It would make sense that he didn't bring any weapons with him. He just took the axes that they had on their property. They all live near railroads. And so their theory is that this is the guy who actually killed all of these people. And they don't attribute, they haven't attributed Clementine Bartabit's cases to him but they say it's really not a stretch because it's all right on the what is it the south pacific railway yes so they think that he may have been responsible for all of it including the velasca murders in iowa are like a huge axe murder story and they say that he might have been responsible for those too what was his Uh, name again paul mueller yeah i think there was a um uh a lore on mm. that and that they had they had tied him to first murders in germany too yes i saw that and but i thought they had tied him to actually to the like the axeman of new orleans that he might be all of these yeah he might be the axeman that new was orleans, their theory you're talking about and the ones in germany in the barn um, yeah um, their theory and, was that he had he was responsible for all of it fuck yeah probably most likely i think check this out so we hit like louisiana germans the 19 teens voodoo Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. germans (laughs) kraut kraut we we hit hit what is the bags that are called the the oh um, yeah the conjure bags the conjure bags they made for them Mm mm-hmm so yeah Lord. i felt so bad for that guy that that farmer who was like attacked by the police for being like our root doctor oh I know. by all accounts he was this nice friendly dude and he's like i don't do Probably. this kind of stuff right <laughs> that's such an old case like that's such a cold case to think that obviously it was the same person or group of people doing mm-hmm. that well I, I didn't believe that it was like I think it was one a, white, a white man did it. I'm oh yeah, sorry. totally, totally a white black, man did it. I don't think but a nineteen-year-old like black woman I was did say, that. I'm like sorry. Like a nineteen-year-old yeah. white. I mean, a black woman would go in there and be able to like just handle like a whole family. Yeah. Seriously, with an axe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No. I was no like, there was so much. I was like, they said that they specifically said there were footprints at the first scene. I was like, you can. I mean. I know we didn't have fingerprint technology that was like accessible and easy to use necessarily at all these times, but like, come on, like you could have looked at the size of the footprints. Maybe you could have. Right. Well, that just got lost in this sensational. I mean, it's like once you said yeah. voodoo and then you said like, you know, this conspiracy theory is like any reason just went out the door. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people were just like, you got to arrest somebody. Somebody's got to be responsible for this. This makes sense to us. Right. And they were like, I just kind of was like, coming you know, out the, Netflix. The right? answer is supposed to be like the easiest answer in front of you is often like if the people who are behind Ockham's bars razor, and yeah. it keeps on mm-hmm. happening, then maybe those people didn't actually have anything to do with it. I know. I just asked the group in the chat what they thought. 
don't know if they see oh, I'd it. I'd like to know. And I know there's a delay, so I'm not right. sure. But I well, that is my story. Whoop, whoop. Thank you all so much for listening. Remember to check out our website. I think the guy did it, Alicia said. I agree. <laughs> Paul <laughs> yeah. Mueller. Paul Mueller. He's evil. Yes, check out our website. Yes, thestrangesouth.com. It has links to all of our social media.